It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 113 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. On this one, we're going to break down UFC 266. We're also going to talk about last week's UFC Fight Night in which Anthony Smith basically kind of ran through Ryan Spann. This is your host, Stan Jurayev, and the violence of Ion Kutelaba to my lower front teeth, my co-host, Nick Braccia. Good to be on with you, my friend. Hello, and you're looking very golden brown and tan from your vacation in the Poconos. You know, you know how it is, Nick. Poconos is all about the beach. It's all about the tan, especially in September, and I took full advantage of that. For me, Nick, it's like what's the where's what what water is the beach on? There is no beach. I was being sarcastic, but we 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 did stay in a in a lake house, and for me, it's like I spent a little bit of time outside and automatically tan like all parts of my body, even the parts that were covered. It's just how it works. A blessing and a curse, Nick. A swarthy gentleman. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that word, but English is my second language. That a, that a, that adjective. Yeah, it, I, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, it just <laughs> means uh, it means well, it just means uh, dark dark skin, of dark complexion or caste. Oh, so we're like we're like turning turning this into like a like a bit of a racist podcast now. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the no, it's just of each like of the it, host, Nick. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a complexion like ruddy or anyway. No, I I, I know I'm I'm kidding. No, Nick, Nick uh, honestly, the vacation was was pretty relaxing. It was needed. Uh, I got to spend some quality time with my wife and daughter who recently turned two years old and uh, just started going to school. Very exciting stuff, Nikolai. But we do have to get into last week's card. Anthony Smith, like I said, basically ran through Ryan Spann. Ryan Spann did not have make a good accounting of himself, especially given some of the trash talk, although I didn't think it was so egregious that Anthony Smith like needed to act like an asshole afterward. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, buddy? Oof. It was listen. Ryan Spann's not a guy that anyone's ever accused of having a, a terrific fight IQ. I thought he he threw wild shots, like in ca- some cases looked as sloppy as Evander Holyfield's. Uh, what you know, the one punch that he threw, like Spann was throwing his whole body into stuff. He was losing his balance, complete lack of composure. And not only that, Smith, who hits hard, but he's not Francis Ngannou. Like everything he would, you know, he was. He would throw a stiff one too, and Span's legs would just buckle and wiggle. It was just a, it it was. Uh, I haven't seen a fight. I think the last fight I saw, where um, a, where fighters ran into it with that little composure was like was like Brunson Whitaker. Brunson, yeah, I mean that, that was that was pretty. I mean that was particularly bad composure. But Smith, Smith held his own. The Smith did everything he had to do, he, and yeah, yeah, yeah. He he essentially did what you and I expected of him. I think for the most part, yeah. Um, the, the the guy the guy is like genuinely, you know, he's he's a skilled guy. He's got craft for for days. He's he's put so much work in leading into this that any of these young prospects, especially prospects with the size of holes of a Devin Clark, and uh, and uh, obviously in this matchup, uh, Ryan Spann, like. They're probably going to get smoked by uh, by Smith, and that was the case here. Here's the thing about Spana. I spoke about this. His fight IQ being one big issue, right? He just walks into his opponent's uh, offense often enough. And another big issue with him is he's a terrible chin. He's been stopped, I think, in every one of his losses by knockout, including that recent loss uh, at, at um, 
to who was it? Johnny Walker. Um, tagged Walker several times. Actually had a better showing in that knockout loss than he did in this one. But yeah, man, like the the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was no competition, especially once Ryan's pan was rocked, and he just does not have the durability, man. As athletic and as explosive as he is offensively, the compo- the lack of composure, like you said, the lack of durability, like he's never going to make it into top five territory unless the division just goes down the plunger, man. Yeah, he's um. It was he's just not he's just not that good. I actually wonder if uh, they say he cuts a good amount of weight and he did look much leaner. I wonder if he would act. I mean, I mean, his chin's not great, so probably not. I just wonder if he should be fighting at heavyweight um, where the competition maybe isn't as good. But yeah, I don't know. Not not looking like not looking like a UFC caliber guy. Yeah, that chin. I don't know if that's a good idea. Well, you don't know how much of the chin is caused by the is caused by the drastic weight cut. True, uh, true. But I mean, he's been losing by knockout his entire career. I feel like at this point, uh, his chin is not just suspect; it's convicted, man. Like it is just not a quality chin for this yeah. division. No, I was gonna say so. So Smith called out Alexander Rakic, uh, who um, just fought him two fights ago, and Rakic, I guess, is down for it. So why not? I, that's a fight I'm interested to see because Smith got dominated last time. Right, which is like I don't understand why I understand why this is happening. Like, why would Rakic want this matchup? He just beat him like two fights ago. I don't know. It it makes zero sense to me, divisionally, rankings wise. Why risk a prospect and Rakic? Although the UFC might not be the biggest fan of him because let's face it, he's kind of boring. He's very risk averse. Even in the way that he fought Anthony Smith, he just kept taking him down and laying on top of him gently without doing any damage. So, and Smith kind of, you know, in that position, he doesn't tend to fight it off. He doesn't tend to get up back up to his feet. He's, if he's not able to just submit you out of nowhere. And yeah, Smith, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu wise was a different league from span. That's not going to be the case for Reykjavik. I see no reason for that matchup to repeat itself. There is some intrigue in the idea that Smith was coming off of that, you know, terrible beating to Glover Teixeira. Maybe, maybe a Smith, you know, in prime, in good form, maybe he can have a very competitive fight with Rakic, but man, that was so dominant and boring. I, I see absolutely no reason for that to main event a fight night card. And I assume that's what the UFC has in mind because for some reason, Anthony Smith main events, UFCs don't know why he's he, a journeyman. He's headlined more since 2018 than anyone else, any other fighter in the entire, uh, you're kidding me. Yeah. That's insane. Eight. I mean, that speaks yeah, to how busy real, he is, but that's a real statistic. Yeah, no, and, and that's rare to uh, for a real statistic to come from you, man. Uh, really remarkable. Oh. Uh, show. I think this is the first one in oh. 113 episodes. <laughs> yeah, but you know what it was, Nick? It was repeated left hooks uh, by by Smith, who was countering the constant uh, right cross of Span. And Span's right hand is killer. And clearly, Smith was prepared for it. I talked about his jab, but he was in danger of getting clocked with a cross uh, with the counter cross from Span, which is his power punch, if he was going to throw a lot of those jabs. So it was a good technical decision not to. He essentially waited for the counter opportunity. I think the last time he dropped him was with the right hand after multiple left hooks rocked him. Uh, and then and then obviously once it was on the ground, he he took position and submitted him. Um, it's it, Yeah, Ryan Span is not elite, unfortunately, but he is a... You know he's he's an entertaining bottom of the rung two bottom of the top fifteen I would say two oh fiver and and I guess he's good for that as far as Anthony Smith he is he's a I guess a high level gatekeeper at this point but he's fighting prospects that could beat him if you give him another year of development otherwise you're just kind of wasting these prospects and I guess the idea for the UFC is this is just the guy who can main event for us and we'll let him eat up these prospects for the time being because we like him uh it is what it is uh anthony smith being like as pissed off and acting a fool afterward like i know the mma community's decided that ryan span was just way beyond the line but like his trash talk wasn't that bad dude he just 
wasn't kissing Anthony Smith's ass. I thought Smith's um, I thought Smith's response was a little juvenile and overblown. It was it was over top. Look, is it is it interesting? Is it more honest probably than a lot of these fighters who you know after getting so much shit talk from their opponents and then they just smoke them and then they then they're super friendly and respectful to them? Like is that it's not realistic, right? That most humans would react that way. So I get it. I probably would have reacted the Anthony Smith way uh, in a situation where somebody was really talking so much shit. But it also shows you that maybe Span got into Smith's head. Right, like if you had that kind of reaction, Smith is not usually the kind to just blow up like that. If you had that kind of reaction, maybe Span did get into his head, and that shows a bit of mental weakness in Anthony Smith. Not that he's lacking for that in general. Um, I don't think Anthony Smith is much better. His jab is better. Don't get me wrong. He's got, um, I would say, overall better boxing. Uh, he's a little more patient now, and he's better on the counter, uh, whereas he used to just on his back foot be absolutely terrible. So there are improvements. I just still, I, I don't see much of a reason to consider him like truly a top five quality guy, and I feel like the UFC is treating him that way. Let's move on to the main event on this one uh, quickly. Ian Cotelaba basically just savaged Devin Clark, and I alluded to it a little bit in our intro earlier. Um, just, I mean, he did almost whatever he wanted. I keep speaking about Ian Cotelaba's Greco-Roman wrestling, and he has recently resurfaced with that. He's recently started using it again after just trying to be a berserker for a couple of years there, uh, after his what feels like 12-year-long uh, feud with Magomed Ankalaev, uh, coming now into a split draw with just Dustin Jacobio. Uh, pretty, pretty damn good fight in which uh for the record Kotelaba won the first two rounds and then lost the third round decisively enough but Kotelaba's look he's showing a little bit of improvement he's still a relatively young guy even though even though his face looks like it's got like the leather of, of I don't know 15 years of pro wrestling on it um so you know he, he's going to be a, an entertaining fighter um maybe maybe a kind of a gatekeeper to top seven or eight but I don't have super high hopes for him as of this moment unless he switches camps yeah, Kutalaba is not boring. That's all, that's all I have to say. No. Um, uh, quickly, like, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on this card, although there were definitely some impressive performances. Lipsky kept her composure for the first time in her career against Mandy Baum. Didn't uh, that was impressive. Didn't fi- I, the one time I pick, I finally pick against her and she wins and she shows up and, I, I and fights. Know, I still here. don't think she's going anywhere, but whatever. But, but, but look, market um, improvement, right? The composure was her biggest issue. And granted at some point, Baum was just like overwhelmed and not really, not really in a position to win the fight period. It helps that she was fighting a UFC debutante and she's beaten almost every UFC debuting fighter she's faced, right? That's Lipsky's signature. She lose to anybody that's a little more established. Uh, but I mean, she's dude, she's got all the talent in the world offensively, right? With her submissions and her power in her hands. Um, and then we had Armand Saryukian versus Chris and Chiagos. I got to make a confession. Last week when I talked about Chiagos, I confused him with a different Italian fighter. This Chiagos is a lot more well-rounded, had a higher chance of beating Saryukan, but I'm still super confident in Saryukan for good reason. Knocked him out with a counter left hook uh, in that first round, man. Really impressive stuff by Saryukan, who I think can absolutely compete with top five competition and probably beat two or three guys in that top five list. Yeah, I mean, they, the UFC, I think, I read that they told him that he needed a win. I mean, he needed a finish. Needed a finish, right? Uh, and he, you know, he got the finish. The rest of the card, it largely went the way that we thought it would, but there were a couple of interesting and close fights. Um, I had picked Penny Kanzad uh, to beat uh, Raquel Pennington in a very close fight. Uh, it went and the I other way. Pennington. Like Kanzad, yep. what, what, what do you have to say, Stan? Go I ahead. Just, I was Cut just saying. Off. I was just saying that I correctly picked Pennington, and I told you it would be a close fight that Pennington would win because she's more well-rounded. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Um, I feel really good about this one. <laughs> Joaquin, Joaquin Buckley uh, took it on the chin and got a huge hematoma, but 
uh, pulled it out in the third round with a KO victory over uh, Antonio Arroyo. I would argue that you um, took it on the chin in that matchup more than Buckley did, uh, because once again, I told you so, Nick. I was right. Well, well yeah, what do you mean? That was a, no, you but it was competitive. I, I told you so. It was a it was a two pointer pick. You know, like I know those oh, yeah, yeah. three point shots. Like I, I do hear know, that, but I but I do I do have to say this. I did uh, I did tell you that this probably wasn't the two pointer I would have gone for on the card. I told you that Nate Manis versus Tony Gravely is the great opportunity. Barely plus one fifty territory. Nate Manis was at right, and he has the power. And Tony Gravely has been stopped by strikes several times in his career. Um, and had I been down on points, that's absolutely a fight I would have uh, picked the underdog in because I thought it could have gone either way, as we saw with the way that the matchup uh, uh, unveiled. But Nate Manis, man, guy's got nasty power. He's fourteen and one. At this point, he's beaten a couple of prospects. He's uh, he's somebody to really look at. Yes. Uh, also interesting, you know, fighters to keep an eye on. Montel Jackson uh, pretty much did what he wanted to JP buys. Maybe not quite as overwhelming as everyone anticipated, yep. but still pretty convincing. Uh, Ipikasagane, who I picked, uh, was defeated by Carlson Harris. Yep. Um, that was a tough one. Harris yeah, I, is legit, man. I got to stop underestimating this kid. Although I did pick him in his last fight. Um, I, I didn't think that, like, guy's got kind of a tender chin, even though he's got serious power and great submissions. Um, I just figured that Impa would be able to tag him on the chin first, and that was not the case. Carlson Harris looked really good, and he looked like the better fighter, honestly. Um, so otherwise, some good, you know, a fine card to set us up, to lead us up to the pay-per-view, I suppose. Um, yeah, but, I, 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 thought, mean, I thought it was overall an entertaining night of fights, considering like the you know the fact that there weren't any like golden golden prospects that are like about to contend any second now for the most part outside of obviously sorry Yukon and 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 that kind of thing. Uh, and Chukwe made a pretty good showing for of himself against Mike Rodriguez. Looked very well rounded. Nikolai, after the last event, I am now at a total of eighty nine and a half points to your eighty one and a half points. Nikolai, I picked up four and a half points in this last good. event. Um, and uh, you picked up three. Yeah, yeah it, it, you're lacking a little bit at this point, but I do think like with some of these underdog picks, you are, I think your record in underdog picks for the last like several weeks is something like four and one. So like if you were betting on the one underdog that you believe in for every event, Nick, you would have been at a nice surplus at this point. So I, I honestly do believe in your odds of coming back. And I do think there's a couple of opportunities uh, on this. This, is, card. this card, this is going to be a, uh, I, I, there's some interesting ones on the card that we're going to pick today. But I also feel like you and I, there's some fights that you and I are probably going to violently agree on. Uh, and I feel like we're going to be fighting it out to get to those picks first. I, I could I, I could definitely see that, Nick. Um, I could definitely see it. as. But I'm a very, very right interesting now. card, though, with a main event where I'll, I'll be honest. I, you know, I'll say the main event and in Diaz Lawler, like, yeesh. I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in either of those fights. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I did I did watch a decent amount of tape, especially for that main event. But Diaz Lawler, I, I didn't watch a lick of tape because I feel like I know both guys Why? pretty well. Why? Tape of what? Exactly. I mean, especially in the case of Nick Diaz, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't, you, just, you don't know who's going to show up. Uh, let's take a break, Nick. We're going to come back and break down the entire UFC 266 card for you guys. Three Five round fights at the top of the billing for this one. Alexander Volkanovsky defending his title against Brian Ortega. We have Valentina Shevchenko defending her title against Laura Murphy. And we've got, of course, Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz. Uh, really some, honestly, a lot of meat on the bone, man. A lot of top contenders. Yeah. Curtis Blades, Rosenstrike, Andrade. Let's take a break and break it down, buddy.
back on the MMA Geeks C-Level podcast, and we're going to get into the MMA Geeks draft, the segment in which Nick and I take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. We're going to break down the matchup for you guys, of course, and then whoever ends up uh, with, you know, the, the highest number of winning fighters at the end of Saturday night ends up getting that much more of a lead in the total scoring. As of now, I am eight points up over your neck, 89.5 uh, my points to 81.5 of yours, Nikolai. You got some catching up to do, but I think the underdog picks are going to make all the difference, which leads me to, I think I'm going to go with the sure thing. I've got to take Valentina Shevchenko, to get another win at flyweight in a division that, quite frankly, she is leagues above every single member of. Um, I, I think that Valentina Shevchenko is going to ride through Lauren Murphy in this matchup. Lauren is gritty, strong, and tough, right? She hits hard, has solid offensive wrestling, but she's slow. She's glacially slow. Technically, she is leagues behind Shevchenko, but mentally, she's in the best place of her entire career, of her entire life. Uh, Valentina is almost perfect everywhere. A-level striking, solid takedowns, excellent submissions. Also has one of the strongest minds in the sport. The only real path Lauren has in this fight besides a lucky strike is to take Shevchenko down and hold her there, kind of like Jennifer Maya did in the second round of their fight. I'm definitely not going to bet on that. I think Shevchenko's realization that she can take someone down and finish from top position is a game changer for her because she can be safe. She's very risk averse, right? And she can stay in top position and do real damage from there, possibly finish fights as opposed to standing across from someone for 25 minutes, landing 30 strikes in total, even though she's clearly leagues above her opposition. I've been frustrated in those matchups with Shevchenko for years now. So I'm glad she's really going after girls. Now I think Shevchenko, can finish this with a counter if Lauren is aggressive enough on the feet, or she can finish from top position if Lauren gets hurt or tired first. Uh, but she'll probably play it safe and win a clear-cut decision, probably from top position predominantly. Yes, I mean I I agree with everything you said. <laughs> it's um, I, I my hope is that this is this is quick and merciful. Um, yeah, although Lauren Murphy is is super durable and has a lot of heart. For that reason, maybe even an aggressive Chevchenko might have a hard time finishing her early. But, I mean, again, skill-wise, they're so far apart that if she wants to, she should be able to at almost any moment, I think. Yeah, I actually I think Chevchenko will get a sub, um, but we'll see. Official prediction, I like it, Nick. I think she'll sub her early. Um, my first pick, I'm going to go with the terrific uh, and dangerous French striker, Manon Thiro. Um, to defeat a, a, a tough competitor, but one who I think is going to be outmatched in strength and speed, Myra Buena Silva. Um, I just, I think this is a, a, a kind of a showcase fight for the French woman, and uh, I, I, unless unless there's some Houston Alexander like turtle on their back wrinkle that we you know that we're not aware of yet which i don't think is the case i just don't i don't see her uh, losing this fight i think it'll be another uh striking uh showcase from furo yeah i tend to agree with you silva's a pressure striker and she has legit power in her hands um she's also really solid at catching submissions from bottom position particularly has a great armbar but her wrestling is a real weak point Thoreau's like super dynamic, very explosive, um, very technical striker, especially for women's divisions. She is about as dynamic, explosive, yes. and technical as it gets, right? She's large for the weight class and largely seen as a future top three fighter, like a serious prospect. Big favorite here against a fellow prospect. Um, I, I think Fiero has solid takedown defense and should be safe from Silva's submissions unless she decides to take top position and takes that risk. That's probably Silva's like one of her better situations to win in. Silva pressures and has power, but she's plotting, right? Which won't 
won't work well against Fiorel's footwork. I like Fiorel to get her third octagon win in three tries. Whether she gets a finish it depends on, I think, how aggressive Silva is going to be standing up. If she's aggressive enough to give Fiorel plenty of chances to counter, um, I, I think she's going to finish. So, Nikolai, I agree with you on the pick. This was uh, this was just a little bit. Eh, th- this was right around right around this range. I mean, this is a this is a pretty high-ranking pick there. I just think there's a little more risk here in this matchup than a couple of others. Uh, for example, the Matthew Semmelsberger versus Martin Sano matchup, Nick. Matthew Semmelsberger is like, like a legit striker. He's dynamic. He's confident, right? Sato is winless in his last three fights. Who yeah, does? And, he, and he's, got, and he's, he's got a lot of miles on him. Yeah, he's got a lot uh, of miles. But Nick, he hasn't fought in a few years. The only singular reason that he is fighting on this card is because Nick Diaz. He's a training partner, and Nick Diaz somehow manages to get his buddies on cards with him, even though they absolutely don't belong in the UFC. I forget the name of uh, the, the Diaz buddy from a couple of a few years ago who fought Artem Lobov, I think, in his UFC debut, who just like was mediocre and went winless. I think Martin Sano is probably going to be that kind of a uh, fighter. I, I think Semmelsberger scores probably a, just a gnarly knockout to make it 3-1 in the UFC. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, Selzberger just has, he's got, uh, he's got freaky power. He does, especially uh, for that weight class. I think we're, I think we're going to see it. The, um, the I'm going to do one of my patented underdog picks and we're going to see. This is probably not, it might be too early to do this, but I'm scared you're going to counter me. So I'm going to go in and do it. I would feel a lot more confident if this was a five round fight, but I can't see Curtis Blades, who's not particularly great at setting up his takedowns, not catching one. And Jorginho Rosenstrike hits as hard as the guys that have slept Curtis Blades. Yeah, um, definitely hits as hard, about as hard as the guys who have slept Curtis Blades. Francis Ngannou and uh, Derek Lewis are the only two guys that were able to pull that off up until this point. So I, I I did end up agreeing with you on the pick. I was actually a little bit taken aback about the odds here. They're so wide. It's shocking. They do. They man. do. They, I, I, I agree. I think the odds seem – it doesn't make any sense to me knowing that this guy's got face-melting power. And um, Curtis Blades has been knocked out and he in can, all his he can be, losses. He can be taken down, but Curtis Blades is – he's – yeah, I mean he got, he got knocked out by an uppercut while he was going for a takedown just not that long ago. Can I I just quickly say for our listeners, for those that have been following my betting advice, actually my, my last several tidbits of betting advice have been really good. I wish I'd, I'd wish I'd kept count of this stuff. Maybe I'll count it all up and and let you guys know where we stand, but Rosenstrike winning by TKO, Nick, the odds on it plus 420 at FanDuel plus 400 at uh, bet rivers and Unibet. So definitely, definitely an investment worth making. If you have a hundred bucks that you don't mind ever, never seeing again, this would be the chance to uh, invest it. Again, Curtis Blades could very well win this fight. He is skill-wise had a lot of the intangibles to win this fight, uh, but but there's several reasons why. Yeah, again, if it was five rounds, I would feel much. I would feel much better I'm about Rosenstreich. I'm definitely there with you because I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe him as a gentleman who has any sense of urgency. Yeah. Oh well, that's part of the issue, right? Blades can, Blades can definitely take Rosenstreich down, as we've seen in almost every one of his fights. Right? No, no doubt, no doubt. Right. Yep. Rosenstreich can definitely knock out Blades. We know he has serious power, and we know Blades has four, uh, kind of a middleweight's chin and a heavyweight's body, honestly. The question is, 
how well will Blade set up his takedowns? Will Rosenstrike be able to counter takedowns with bombs like he counters punches, right? Because Rosenstrike does not counter takedowns and that's not how he wins fights. He wins fights because somebody's invested in a combo against him and he just explodes with a hook. Blades is about seven months removed from a terrible knockout loss to Derek Lewis. I don't expect that his chin has had the time to fully recover. I don't know how mentally ready he is for another heavy-handed striker so soon after how... That, and that, that was a really bad KO. That That's was what I'm saying. Like he was twitching on the ground and then there was an, an Instagram video about some douchebag fan, um, I, I guess pranked call him and said something like, hey, uh, is this Curtis? And he's like, yeah, it's me. And Curtis is like on the couch with his significant other. And the guy's like, how did it feel to get terribly knocked out by Derek Lewis twitching on the floor or whatever? And Curtis Blades legitimately, I don't know how, how I saw this video. Maybe Curtis recorded it legitimately looked distraught nick distraught at that um i don't know how how mentally over he is that long he's to... like such a nice guy <laughs> uh, he's, he's he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder he's been he's been a little bit of a trash talker he, i don't know and he talks trash okay. predominantly toward the ufc which i can appreciate I'm, i don't have a problem with it but here's another uh, element to it right the ufc probably gonna treat him like shit this whole week we all know how that shit works you talk about uh fighter pay and you start like arguing with dana white in the media you're not going to be very well liked. You're not going to be treated well. That's the reason for this matchup for the record. So I think the UFC is is betting on Rosenstrike getting a big win. Good news for Blades is that this is a three-round fight, like you said, right? Blades only has to keep from crashing into Rosenstrike's power for 15 minutes instead of 25. Also helps that Rosenstrike is a low output striker. Blades might have a higher chance to escape with his consciousness with less strikes coming his way. But Blades cannot help but constantly throw offense at his opponents, as we saw with his uh, law, with his last loss, at least, to uh, Francis Ngannou. Since he's kind of a pressure wrestler, right? He sets up his wrestling. Overall, his setups aren't bad, by the way. He just made a big mistake with that one specific setup. Um, he does often set his takedowns up with jabs. I think a jab by Blades could lead to one of two things. Either Rosenstrike knocks him unconscious with his counter, eventually when he decides to throw a counter or blades can shoot under the counter to complete a cleat takedown. I'm edging towards Rosenstrike to land a magic punch at some point, but his low up, it definitely makes this one a hard one to call. So you and I are on the same page this time. We're seeing the same underdog opportunity, at least the first underdog opportunity um, on the list. Um, my next picnic is going to be, and I think this is a solid pick by you. It probably would have come sooner than later by me because I wanted those two points. My next pick is going to be, I'm going to take Jessica Andrade to beat Cynthia Calvillo uh, at women's flyweight. Both of these women obviously started their UFC, or I, I shouldn't say started, uh, most recently were at 115 pounds before they moved to this division, 125, to make their way up in a you know pr pretty shallow division up to uh, Shevchenko. Andrade is a little powerhouse, doesn't have the highest level of technique, but there's improvements in her tactics lately. She's one and one at 125 pounds after a first round stoppage of Caitlin Chukagian and a dominant loss to Valentina Shevchenko. Cynthia has a wrestling background, solid chokes from top position and improving striking. Jessica should be able to largely have her way in this one. I think she hits harder. She'll be more effective standing up since Calvillo is not a virtuoso standing and Andrade's recent losses are to elite strikers. That is not Calvillo. Jessica should not be concerned about Cynthia's wrestling since Jess should be stronger and more explosive. And Cynthia's submissions should not be an issue since Jessica rarely gives top position up, you know, outside of obviously an opponent like Shevchenko. But if Cynthia is developing quickly at Tiger Muay Thai, she could stay behind her jab and incorporate kind of a footwork based game to be the matador to Jessica's bull. Uh, but Cynthia isn't dangerous enough standing to pull that off, I don't think. So I like Andrade to win a gritty, fun decision in this one because Cynthia, even if she's getting dominated, which she largely shouldn't be, but even if she is, she's gritty. She's going to keep fighting through everything and keep trying. So it'll be fun to watch.
Yeah, I agree. I'm looking forward to this. But this is one of those cases of, I mean, it would really have to be something weird. Like Anthony Smith said something leading up to the fight with Brian Spann, which was, what's he, what's he going to do to me? What's he going to, what's he going to, like, he know, and he's like, he's been hit by, he's been hit by guys who hit harder. Like, and not, not the Spann doesn't hit hard, but he's been, you know, he ate, he ate enormous shots from Tiago Santos and, uh, and from Glover Teixeira. And I feel like with Jess, if I'm Jessica Andrade and I'm looking at Cynthia Cavillo, I'm like, what's what's she gonna do to me? Like, there's nothing. Like Jessica Andrade is is just more. She's more powerful. She's gonna be more powerful wrestler. And I don't. Uh, I just. I don't see her getting, you know, boxed up. Cavillo's not is not <laughs> Joanna Jacobs, and then she's not gonna become that since her last fight. Um, I just. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't really see a clear path to victory unless unless Andrade really like stinks it up. Yeah, Andrade would have to be like mentally in a terrible place following that loss, and I feel like it's just not in her character to have that. She's like a relentlessly positive person, relentless, relentlessly confident. It seems like I feel like she's gonna recover from this fine and move on with her life. If it was a terrible knockout. Maybe we'd have a different conversation, but that wasn't the case. What is your next pick, buddy? Uh, this one may surprise you, but I actually think these odds are closer than they should be. I'm going to pick the Serbian fighter, Urus Medic, to defeat uh, Jalen Turner. Um, I think Medic's a rising star. I, I, think he's, uh, I think he's a guy who's got all the tools. He's had some pretty exciting finishes um, with, you know, with, with flying knees uh, you know, recently. Jalen Turner is good. He's just a... He's just a little erratic. He's a guy who, um, I mean, I think about the Frivola fight where he had, where he had so many moments. I, I, you know, I use the word composure a lot. I just, uh, I think Medic is a more, the doctor, as it were, uh, is a more measured fighter. And is, um, I just see, I see Turner making more mistakes in the fight and, and Medic either getting a finish or winning a pretty clear decision. Yeah, Medic is like just relentlessly violent and accurate. He's from Serbia and trains under Rafael Cordero. Um, got rid of two opponents within four minutes between contender series and his UFC debut. And at least in his UFC debut, Nick, his strike numbers, he was incredibly aggressive and incredibly accurate. 71% of his strikes. And he landed like something like something like 50 strikes, I think in, in that, in that like minute and a half fight, it was absolutely insane. Uh, Turner's tall rangy striker has power and speed. Decent submissions, too, if he really needs to use them against a mediocre opponent. Hasn't responded well to resistance from his opponents in the UFC, but he lost to Matt Frivola and uh, and Vincente Luque. Turner's the more proven product with a handful of UFC finishes to his name already. He's also going to have a big reach advantage in this matchup, even though they're height-wise not too far apart. He doesn't respond well to pressure from even like non-athletic, smaller opponents. And I can't count on his on him to respond well to pressure from a monster like medic. Both guys have big power on their strikes, but Turner has been stopped by strikes a few times. So I can't really count on his chin either. I have medic by a, another first round knockout, but um, like it will be fun until the moment it ends because it will be violent. No matter what's happening. If Turner's landing, people are falling as well. So both guys have insane power. I agree with you, man. I think this, uh, the odds are too close here. I would also, in addition to that prop bet that I recommended earlier uh, on Rosenstrike, I'd also recommend a bet on Euros Medic. Uh, honestly, pick him by, if you pick him by uh, finish or knockout, you're going to get better odds. Uh, I don't like Jalen Turner's odds of sticking around in this fight. 
Uh, Nikolai, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between one of your favorite fighters, maybe your favorite fighter, Roxanne Matafari and Talia Sandhills, Nikolai. I have an inkling feeling there's a chance that you might pick Roxanne Matafari in this one. Although if you were going to do that, I feel like you would have already done it. Maybe you're not super confident in her. I know you like her a lot and you've uh, made some great picks when it comes to her in the past. I just think this is a matchup in which Matafari has really good grappling. She has the good developing stand-up. She just like waits forward with really straight punches that tend to be effective, tend to uh, land harder than you might expect her to be able to land. But she always has trouble against more physical, stronger, more explosive opponents who also have their technique about them. Right. Right. Roxanne, Roxanne Manafari does well against prospects who aren't quite ready for the big time. And I, I tend to think, based on Talia Santos' last couple of performances, that she is ready for this level. I tend to think that minus 370 is way too wide. I think I'd probably have her probably had a minus 210, but I wouldn't be surprised if the odds opened up uh, closer and then uh, dragged out this far. I've got Talia Santos here to win a pretty one sided decision. Yeah, I'm staying away from this one mostly for emotional reasons. I think Santos is stronger, and Roxy has trouble with against power, more powerful opponents. Also, although it's not on her, her UFC record, and she's got, I think she lost her last UFC fight, but one against Andrea Lee. But since then, she's also lost three or four uh, submission grappling matches, got caught in a couple of heel hooks. In Roxy's life, she seems really happy these days. She's got a serious boyfriend now that she lives with. She was already writing on social media today that she misses him because the beginning of her week away Aww. is starting. I'm glad that she found love. I'm, I, but I'm not sure. While it's and she's also in her late 30s, so it's like while it's the next the next kind of chapter for her, I don't. I just it feel I I feel like her career at the UFC level maybe maybe winding down. It's not encouraging that a jujitsu practitioner as good as she is has gotten tapped out at so many submission and submission grappling competitions over the last. Uh, you know, several months. Um, she may, she may surprise us. She may, uh, she's very crafty and she may, she may outcraft Santos. Um, but I just didn't feel confident enough to go, uh, to go near this pick. And what it most, what it mostly comes down to is Roxy's latest run, um, both in the octagon and in submission grappling since that Andrea Lee fight, which was razor close, you know, very, very tight. Um, hasn't been, you know, hasn't been terrific. And she is when she's working at a substantial strength deficiency, it's uh, it's often too much to overcome. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to imagine that this is the same Talia Santos that we're confidently picking over Roxanne Matafari, who lost to Mara Barella uh, just a couple of years ago. Pretty, I mean, just a couple of fights ago. Really, it's it's kind of insane. But well, a couple of years a couple of years is. is... Is a while, but she's also she's also looked pretty good. Oh, since I mean, she's then. looked fantastic since then against Molly Molly McCann and Jillian yeah. Robertson, who like I rate Jillian Robertson maybe a little higher than you do, and you rate Molly McCann definitely higher than I do. But you know, both like tenacious winners in the UFC, predominantly, right? Like they're they're not these are not losers that she's beating. No, they're they're. I mean, Rox, Roxy would be. I was gonna say Roxy would be fifty fifty with either of those women. Um, or close to. They'd be very yeah, close. Yeah, M- Molly McCann, against, I think she against, would deservedly be a decent-sized favorite. I would actually love to see that matchup next. Why the hell not? McCann coming off a win, but Roxanne is higher rank coming off of uh, potentially after this one a loss. If Roxanne does lose this fight, that might be the next style matchup for her. I like Talia Santos as well. And uh, I, I just think the only risk for her is if she starts to tire her out and Roxanne just puts it on her. But worst case, she might lose a 10-8 third round in that case is what I'm guessing. Um, who's uh, Your pick is next, right, bud? 
cheering, I'll cheering, for, cheering for Roxy. Just don't feel yeah, very. Although you know what, Santos um, is a real prospect from Brazil, seventeen and one. I'm gonna cheer for her. Nothing against Roxy, just for the sake of her having the higher ceiling and her potentially making it up to the title shot and actually having a shot against Shevchenko. Like she's yeah. one of the girls that could pull this off in two years against Shevchenko. They don't rush her, but they will. They'll rush her. What's your next pick, buddy? You know, I've got a. I, I did my screen grab off best fight odds um, yesterday. So before I make this next pick, okay, I'm gonna shit. I'm gonna do it. This is where I get myself in trouble. I'm gonna pick the main event. I'm going to pick new champion Brian Ortega. He's a he's a plus one. He's at plus one fifty. Um, at bet at bet MGM at uh, DraftKings and at bet three sixty five. Yep. Which, uh, which unlocks him as Absolutely. the double. I'm also like, listen, his striking looks looked really, really good. Um, I think this is. I don't know that I'd be picking him if it wasn't for the bonus point. I think this is going to be a super close fight. Here's the the wild uh-huh. card. Alexander Volkanovski had COVID. Fair point. Very good point. He has he has not fought. Since, he has not fought since he's had right. COVID. Uh, we don't. We we've we've seen plenty. I I do remember that it didn't that it didn't sound like it was a great one. It didn't sound like it was. Uh, there there were enough little details that it wasn't one of those. Uh, I'm just sitting at home and I don't feel anything and I tested positive. I believe yeah. he was sick. I may be misremembering. Uh, he he did have symptoms after initially testing positive and not having any symptoms. He did end up having symptoms and I think it was I think it was a strong one. You're right. So, I this Ortega that we saw fight the Korean Zombie. I know it's easy to look like look very sharp against Zombie when he's marching forward. Now he's never had the he, the best defense. But Volkanovski's not the he's he's good. He's a solid striker and he's just a great all around fighter. Um, but there was there were certainly moments where Max was piecing him up, and Ortega's ability not just he, I mean we know he has pop. Um, but he doesn't just have pop in, in unorthodox strikes, but against the cage in any position, uh, he's gonna be go- he's gonna be going for submissions, and I don't think Volkanovski is gonna have an, a ridiculous strength advantage here. Ortega is very big for the weight class. I-, I think this is gonna be a hell of a fight. I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, I see a path. I see it. I see a path to victory for Ortega. Um, and I'm going to pick him, uh, to lock in a submission, uh, after having success, success on the feet, using the, using those strikes, um, to maybe, uh, draw out a mistake in Volkanovsky and, and, you know, catching his neck or catching him, uh, perhaps in a triangle or a standing guillotine, something we'll see. But uh, I definitely am going with the new champ here. I like it, Nick. I think this is another one that I would agree with you on. If I was behind on points, I would have made the same pick because I I do think that plus 150, the two points, makes Brian Ortega can't miss. Um, So, uh, you know, I watched a decent amount of tape on this one. I've got a lot to to kind of wade through here quickly. Ortega always had killer instinct and he was always very dangerous, right? He always had a high-level submission game. He's always had great instinct for countering an opponent coming in with strikes, even when it wasn't like a very developed striking game like we saw against Frankie Edgar. But he almost 
lost almost every scored round in his UFC career before eventually kind of pulling off a come from behind finish in most of his fights, right? The new version of Ortega, we technically only have one fight of footage on this version, who's able to win rounds, right? This version who has layers to a striking game, this version of Ortega who's Striking defense is stellar, fantastic jab and good counters and and the composure and, and setting traps and all that. Like, where the hell does this come from, right? After taking, I think, a year off following that ravaging at the hands of Max Holloway. Korean Zombie was winning the second round until he got overly aggressive and Ortega hit him with that spinning back elbow less than a minute into the round. So less than a minute left in, in the round, right? Volkanovski's never so aggressive as to leave his head uh, ahead of his feet the way Zombie and Frankie Edgar did against Ortega, right? So it's not likely that Ortega's going to catch one of these counters, although kid's got power on Volkanovski. You know, he's 32 years old, had been a lifelong athlete. He's getting up there, so it's possible, I guess. Ortega was doing well when he was leading against Zombie with single shots, mostly jabs and leg kicks, which he was able to land because his strikes were hidden by feints. He was so consistent with his feints. They were fantastic. Zombie's a great counterpuncher, and Ortega was ready for that with his defense in place to avoid those bombs while remaining in the pocket. So it's not so much that Ortega would jab and then defend and counter, but he would consistently defend when uh, Zombie did throw uh, those counter strikes. Well, Zombie was the aggressor. Ortega was getting tagged, but he was throwing hard counters, right? Even if he was missing a lot of them. But obviously one eventually landed when Zombie walked into that spinning back elbow. That changed the course of the fight. Zombie didn't seem the same following that. Not sure if it's because he was concerned about getting countered again or because he was so concussed that he wasn't able to actually kind of attack with aggression. Ortega's jab was excellent and it allowed for him to control the distance. It also helped that Zombie has been developing technically and kind of lowering his level of aggression, whereas that nonstop aggression is what worked for Max Holloway against uh, Ortega. Even though it is risky, you can walk into something, right? Ortega was only... Uh, only lost one fight and it was to Max. Max is an equally tall, high-level striker with insane output as Ortega. Right? I say equally tall, but the other attributes he has over Ortega. Volkanovski's short and doesn't have a high strike output generally. But what Volkanovski does consistently display is a really well-put-together game plan for the opponent specifically. Right? He started his UFC career by taking people down and punishing them with ground and pound, which worked well facing kind of that lower rung of the, of the UFC uh, featherweight division. Right, When it was time to step up and fight top 10 opposition, he suddenly became a completely different fighter. He like didn't, he was never the same fighter in any two fights. It seems like to me, right against Chad Mendes, his first kind of big, big step up in competition. Um, taking Chad Mendes down and grinding him out the way that he's been winning wasn't likely going to work given Chad's wrestling pedigree and explosiveness early, right? Alexander knew that Chad doesn't have a great gas tank. So he needed to press the fight so that Chad expends maximum energy early and then eventually gets exhausted and, and is finishable, right? But that comes with serious risk when Chad is so dangerous with his hands early and being aggressive against him when he's uh, fresh means he'll have the chance to counter you, which we saw, right? Volk put himself in danger repeatedly, making Chad work hard and take a damage. Volk actually got knocked down and had to kind of recover in that fight, which he did brilliantly before continuing his insane pressure. He was able to get Chad Mendez out of there within a couple of rounds. Fantastic performance, right? For Jose Aldo, he couldn't have been a different fighter. He he knew he couldn't exchange punches with the explosive powerful boxer, right? Not an option against Jose. And he only had three rounds to fight him, so getting Jose tired would be tough without getting knocked out. So he kept Aldo, the guy who had been focusing on his boxing at the expense of his kicking game lately, right? He kept him at kicking range the entire time. And when they were in a kicking range, Volkanovski made sure they were in the clinch where he's extremely strong and much less likely to, to allow Aldo to land any boxing shots, right? He kept the fight too far out for Aldo's boxing 
to reach him or too close for him to have the room to throw hands. A completely different game plan against a higher level fighter, but equally as effective as he shut Aldo out three to zero in absolutely everybody's scorecards, right? Everybody on MMA decisions, all three of the judges. No one has ever won a decision over Jose Aldo without losing a single round, Nick. That's imp- that's extremely impressive. Even Max Holloway lost the first couple of rounds to Aldo before taking over late. Even uh, uh, Peter Yan had some kind of rough moments in the first couple of rounds. Outside of hurting Aldo, he was out-techniqued by Aldo, right? Losing the majority of, of those first couple of frames. For Max Holloway, he had to make it a multifaceted plan, depending on what Max was going doing at the time. When Max would stand at range, Volkanovski kept him on us with constant calf kicks. Then when Max backed up, Volkanovski would kind of blitz forward with heavy hands. When Max became aggressive and moved forward with offense in the last two rounds, Volkanovski would slip his head off the center line and counter with combinations. So he had an answer prepared, prepared at every range for Max. All of these leads me to the following conclusion. I think the tactics will decide this fight since both guys are extremely skilled in every single area of MMA. Even though Ortega has been making huge improvements, he's relatively new to having a striking match for five rounds. I know he did it successfully against Zombie, but that was pretty low-paced fight. The only time we've seen Ortega lose is when Max put intense pressure on him with an insane offensive output. If you're the shorter fighter, you kind of have to pressure to beat the taller man more often than not. And I have a good feeling that Volkanovski is well aware of this. I think Volkanovski has a game plan tailored for Ortega, which will involve plenty of pressure, clinch work, where Volkanovski will be stronger. I think Volkanovski is the better wrestler and will be comfortable on the ground with Ortega as long as he's in top position. Uh, so he kind of has that option as well to, to win a round or two. Ortega is extremely dangerous and the much smaller man in this matchup. So there's always the the chance that he lands something big and finish uh, the much bigger man, excuse me, in this matchup, always the chance that he lands something big and finishes him with the submission. But I'm going to go with the more skilled guy who's basically untouchable in his UFC career thus far over the bigger man. Who's more dangerous. I got Volkanovsky by decision. Except, except for losing, really losing his last fight. <laughs> but he got the um, no, I, I, I thought he won the last three rounds and that third round is arguable, but like, there's no question that he won the last two rounds and that Max won the first two rounds. He won, he won four. And um, he definitely yes. won four or five. I thought he won the third round, man. Like, I'm I'm happy to rewatch that for you. I thought you agreed with me. I'll have to watch, I'll have to yeah, watch it I again. thought you agreed with me, actually, after we watched it, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm disagreeing with you on this one. But at plus 150, if it was my pick, I would have probably picked uh, the underdog in this one. My next pick, Nick, is going to be in the Mirab Devashvili Marlon Marais matchup. Mirab is, oh. I mean, he's relentless as far as his his conditioning, right? Extremely strong for the division at 135. That guy is as strong as a lot of 155ers. If I had to guess, he's like, Marais is fast and explosive, but his energy management is not great considering how much effort he has to put into strikes given how explosive and fast he is. His chin looks shot nowadays as well. He was knocked out three times in the last in his last four fights, right? Marab isn't the best striker, but he hits hard. He's also explosive, but has the gas tank to explode repeatedly for at least 15 minutes. I like Marab to apply pressure and take the last bit of confidence out of Marais who badly, badly needs a year off. But Marais catching him very early with something insane Absolutely an option. Absolutely could happen. Yeah, it could definitely happen. But I also, I just, it's a, it's a career trajectory thing, right? Yeah, you're right. Like one's literally going down and one's heading straight up. That's fair, man. Can't argue with that. Um, my next pick. Now, st- now stuff starts to get a little. Yep, more difficult. Yeah, little, little more difficult. 
Um, jeez. I think we're. I mean, here's the thing, because I don't know. I'm not sure this fight's gonna happen. There's been a lot of weird shit with Dan Hooker's uh, right. visa, but I, even though he got starched by um, Michael Chandler, Chandler, like Hooker did not look good. Didn't look right during the walkouts. He did, he just did not. Um, he didn't look it there, and I know he took he took quite a shellacking uh, from Poirier after that. But I, I, I think he's gonna have his his act together in this fight, and is and as fun of a striker as Nazarat Hakprost, Mini Kelvin Gastelum, uh, is. I'm not I'm not super high on his chin, you know. Following it was not it was it was not quite two years ago that he got um, he got starched by Drew Dober. Um, I think it's I think it's an interesting fight. And there's a lot more for Dan Hooker to lose than win here, since he's the more named, the higher ranked guy. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Hooker. I think he's a little bit craftier and more disciplined uh, of a striker. And despite the damage he's taken, I'm hopeful and and suspect that he's got the better chin of the two men. So yeah, th- this this is another pretty interesting matchup. Hooker's taken a lot of punishment in the last couple of years. Obviously, his durability and confidence have waned quite a bit because of it. Nasrat is just a young, hot prospect who likes to pressure with his uh, southpaw style. Extremely fast, powerful with his hands. The Hooker of two years ago may have won this fight, but I'm not convinced that this version will. Hooker didn't know how to handle Michael Chandler's pressure, and Nasrat's pressure is a bit less intense, but it's consistent throughout 15 minutes. I like Nasrat to pick up the biggest one of his career if he can make it to the states by friday uh both guys could not get to their visas out of their respective countries nazrat's mom actually died and by the way that could seriously affect his mental frame whether motivating him or or you know hurting him i'm not sure so he flew out to germany for her funeral last week now he's having trouble getting his passport back so he could fly back from the uh, uh from i guess the um, consular or whatever it is hooker seemed to have gotten his visa to fly out of australia but not Nasrat has not the last I checked. So it could very well not happen because Nasrat is going to be the one that, that might not be able to make it in. But I, I do hope he does. It sounds like the, um, it sounds like in Germany, they're pretty backlogged on visas and he tried via Twitter the way that uh, what's his name did the way that hooker did. Hopefully the UFC can figure out a way to make this happen, but definitely not a sure thing. This matchup, Nikolai, I commend the pick though. I disagree with it. My next pick is going to be, uh, I'm going to take Chris Dawkins to beat Shamil Abdurahimov. Dawkins is extremely fast, has excellent boxing, has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, he's actually a cop. I wonder if like, I assume he's going to, he's going to rat out his career for the pension despite his success in the UFC. Shamil is a Dagestani lumbering guy, you know, hits pretty hard, but not great cardio, decent offensive wrestling. And maybe that could be an interesting tidbit to this fight. If he can get Dawkins down before Dawkins knocks him out. But I like Dawkins' chances with the speed, his power, his boxing, his technique, um, I like his chances here, but we still haven't seen Dawkins go deep in, in, in a UFC fight. I'm curious if he has the conditioning. I'm curious if he has the chin and the mental framework to actually make it through some tough moments. So I'm hoping Shamil gives him a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I like Dawkins a lot too, but I think uh, the only thing he's going to lose in this fight is the competition around who has the more chest hair. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and like he's some of the guys, he's beat some, he's beat some good guys. You know, Parker Porter's better than we, better than I thought. You know, better than I thought sure. he was. Um, 
going on. We're down to the, the last couple of difficult, uh, difficult picks here. I'm, huh. I worry that he could end up getting submitted, but I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to pick the power of, of Carl Robertson. Um, I think that Carl Robertson can get a KO over Nick Maximov before he gets submitted. <laughs> that's that's my gamble. Um, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable kind of conclusion to come to. This is another, by the way, uh, Nick Diaz disciple is uh, Nick Maximov, basically an athletic submission artist, trains with uh, Diaz and the crew in Stockton, regular on the Submission Underground Series, having competed in four grappling matches since his Contender Series bout back in November. Doesn't have much of a stand-up game since he only throws strikes to set up takedowns, but looks like he hits pretty hard, I guess, when he does throw. Wrestling is not high level at all, but he's relentless with his takedowns, and he's strong. Robertson's the dynamic striker who has solid wrestling, but he's too willing to engage in grappling battles with grapplers, which is why he's on a two-fight losing streak, both by submission. The fight comes down to Robertson's fight IQ and decision-making, I think. If he engages in a grappling match, he might lose. Otherwise, he has the wrestling and athleticism to avoid uh, takedowns for Maximov. He has the technical advantage on the feet and power to finish Maximov there. Uh, Maximov's first five opponents have a combined record, Nick, of 2-14. and His next fight was on Contender Series in which he outgrappled an out-of-shape-looking heavyweight who has a had a 60-pound weight advantage on him. He's cutting down a middleweight for the first time in his career after mostly competing at light heavyweight. Plus, he trains with Nick Diaz and the crew, which is not exactly a high-level training camp like at all. So I think Robertson probably finishes him with uh, probably Travis Brown elbows like he knocked out Ryan Spann and uh, almost knocked out Glover to share with. Uh, I think they're going to end up in that position a couple of times and he'll have the opportunity. My next pick, Nikolai. We got... We got two fights left, if I'm correct. Is that That's right? That's right. Two fights left, which means we each get one more pick, uh, 14 fights in total. I am going to go ahead and pick the, uh, the, the, the third fight from the top. I'm going to pick from the Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz matchup. A lot of intrigue in this one, a lot of fanfare. Uh, these guys have had fascinatingly like similar, but also different career trajectories. Robbie has the skill and athleticism advantage in this one, but he just stands with his back to the cage waiting for the perfect counter for 15 to 25 minutes, depending on uh, how long uh, the fight was sanctioned for. I call that kind of the Tyron Woodlification of Robbie Lawler. The first time they fought, they were a pair of young prospects. So well, 17 years ago, since Diaz knocked out Lawler with, I think it was a check left hook. Diaz went on to make a name for himself and become a star while Lawler kept plying his trade until he became UFC champion. They were both strike force champions around the same time, but with Robbie competing at middleweight back then, the matchup never materialized. Nick popped with marijuana after the Anderson Silva fight six years ago. Robbie came back to the UFC and became king of the welterweights during Nick's absence, which is fascinating. Diaz hasn't fought in six years. He hasn't won a fight in 10 years. Robbie is one in five in his last six fights. And that win over Cerrone, that one win for Robbie Lawler, was super close, could have easily gone to Cerrone. Despite the layoff, Nick uh, is a busy pressure striker. He's probably too hard-headed to have a ring rust. Hard to know what version of either fighter we're going to get here, but I'm edging towards the busier fighter who hasn't been active over the kind of low offense fighter who has had plenty of recent fights. For the record, Robbie Lawler probably has the tools to starch Nick in the first round. I'm just not convinced that the Tyron Woodley in him will allow him to do that, right? Their journeys uh, to get to this match for the first one is fascinatingly similar in multiple ways with both guys leaving the UFC and attaining some high goals in their other promotions before coming back and kind of getting mixed results and their meeting here at the twilight of their careers, man. Interesting dynamics of the matchup and a lot of question marks. So your pick My again. pick is uh, Nick Diaz to just outwork, outbusy Robbie Lola. Yep. 
unless unless the Lawler that starched almost starched uh, what's his name uh, Ben Askren is going to be active in this fight. Yeah, I mean, also I don't think Nick Diaz has ever been stopped by strikes. I don't think he has. You know, he's gotten knocked down yeah. a bunch. He's just. He can take a fucking shot. He can, at least as of like many years ago, he could. I mean, that's the thing. We don't know. But I was I was also gonna gonna pick Nick just on craftiness and volume and and if you know, post post Usada Robbie. Um you know, I don't even know. And remember, although he badly hurt Askren after fl- he flipped him on his head and 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 landed those from under punches, like the ones that Dan Henderson used to knock out Fedor Milianko. Um it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even that he was kind of boxing him up in the center of the in the center of the cage. I mean, it was just pure aggression. But I guess like uh, Askren gave him the position, right? But Nick, Di- yeah, but Nick Diaz, I don't think will. It's hard for me to see Nick falling into that. So I agree. I would. Agree, I agree with you on the pick. But obviously, neither one of us really wanted any part of picking this fight. That's why it's all the way no, down. No, but here. the one fight left, Nick, is the fight that I wanted to pick least, despite that. Believe it or not, I was more confident in Nick Diaz by a good margin. Than I am in either Morales or Jonathan Pierce. Yeah, this I'm, I don't want to. I don't really want to pick. I don't really want to pick this one either. <laughs> but I, uh, I'm going to go with the Venezuelan fighter uh, Omar Morales um, to defeat John, to defeat Jonathan Pierce. Uh, I like what I like what we saw from uh, Morales. I mean, they both have. Uh, some impressive victories in their last fights. They've both gotten beat up by, uh, by veterans. Well, I don't know if you can call Giga Chikaze a veteran, but, um, it, but I really did like Morales's fight against Gabriel Benitez. Uh, and he looks good against Shane Young. Like I just, oh God, this is this, I think this is going to be a hell of a scrap and it could be a split decision. I just think, um, I think Omar's got, a, got a little bit more pop, um, and a and a bit and a, a bit more big fight experience. Yeah, um, like Pierce is like super tough and resilient. Good overall skills. One and one in the UFC after losing as a favorite against Joe Lazan and then winning as an underdog against Kai Kamaka the third. Morales is a legit kickboxer. Trains out of Sanford MMA. Three and one in the UFC with his only loss to Jiga Jigadze. Fairly low output. I would say is his biggest issue though. I think the result of this fight largely depends on Morales. I think he has the skills and athleticism to win, but Pierce is a dog and will not stop pushing the pace. If Morales has a low output performance, he'll probably get outworked in this one and lose the decision. If he's willing to throw, he has the advantages to win. Really tough one here. Uh, I'm still not sold on GSP since he beat Kai Kamaka largely, I think, because Kamaka took the fight on a couple days' notice, got tired, and that's when JSP was able to take over, right? So his only win in the UFC is because he got an opponent on three days' notice. So I'll edge towards Morales here. I feel like uh, JSP is getting a little bit too much credit for that win over uh, Kai Kamaka, given the short notice nature of it for Kai. So so I'm, I'm there with you, but it's just hard to rely on Morales, who's really talented, but it's hard to rely on him given the uh, low output man because Pierce is going to be busy and he's going to be the taller man like you know the other the only other very tall man that Omar Morales fought who beat him in uh, Chigadze although obviously skill wise they're very far apart Nikolai uh, a pretty good uh, I think overall card like a solid overall card not the best of the best pay-per-view wise but definitely a lot to look forward to in this one I'm quickly going to run through our picks for the event my first pick was Valentina Shevchenko second I took Matthew Semmelsberger 
Third, I had Jessica Andrade. Fourth, Talia Santos. My fifth pick was Marab Devashvili. And sixth, I took Chris Dawkins. Your first pick was Mano Fiore. Second, you took Jarzinho Rosenstrike as an underdog pick. Third, you took Uros Medic. Your fourth pick was Al, uh, was Brian Ortega as another uh, underdog pick. He's plus 150, right? Yeah. Uh, your fifth pick was Dan Hooker to beat Nazar Hakparast, which I disagreed with. And sixth, you took Carl Robertson to beat uh, Nick Maximov. Uh, also, of course, Omar Morales was your final pick. Uh, Nikolai, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned that I... So you only you only disagree you only disagree with my hooker pick everything else. I you think there with? was one other fight that I disagreed with. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Fiore, I agree with Vulcan. Uh, I disagree with Ortega officially, although that was a good pick given the odds. Um, uh, yeah, and th- yeah, th- those yeah that yeah. is those are the only two fights that I disagree with is Ortega and the Nazarat Hawkcross matchup. Otherwise, we agree on the Rosenstrike yeah. matchup, but man, Curtis Blades is a skilled motherfucker. This should this should be interesting, man. I, I think we're gonna get a lot of answers when it comes to uh, when it comes to two guys in the twilight of their career, and we're also gonna get some interesting like storylines going off the Volkanovski Ortega matchup. Right, if Ortega wins, Max Holloway is right back in to challenge for a title. If Volkanovski wins, Max Holloway is basically shut out, and I don't know who would be next for Volkanovski. Is there uh, who's like at the very top of that division, Nick? We've got, I mean, uh, Yair Rodriguez is not really there. Chan Sung Jung. I mean, there's there's really not a great prospect, a great contender for him to fight after well, the, after this win if he pulls this off over Ortega. So, I guess for the sake of the division to remain exciting, Brian Ortega wins and rematches Holloway. I guess it, it should be interesting. Yeah, if Ortega wins for Volkanovski, let me take a yeah Chikadze. Yeah, I mean, number number eight. I guess if he wants after, it, after one, I think he wants it. After well, after after one, maybe after after one more. For Chikadze, yeah. If Chikadze beats Calvin, if Chikadze beats Calvin Cater, you know, like if they put that together, I think so. Especially if they could set up Chikadze in a way so that he can get another spectacular win. Although, like he seems to be like running on all cylinders now. He's he's going to win spectacular fashion at this point in his career. He's so fucking confident. I mean, there's no way there's no way Yair Rodriguez is going to beat Max Holloway in November. I mean, I just don't. I, just, um, I just don't see it. He hasn't been active enough. I don't. I don't know. I don't think Aaron Rodriguez is going to. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. I don't tend to. I tend to agree with you, but. Who the fuck knows what Yara Rodriguez looks like at this point in his career? Who the fuck knows he's been training with and what he's been developing? He's a super talented kid who's incredibly athletic. I agree with you though. The odds are not uh, in his favor, and for good reason. I do have to wonder if Valentina Shevchenko vanquishes another challenger. She has beaten Andrade, Shukagin, Murphy, Maya. Calvillo better win this this fight is all I'm saying because she will be the clear cut next uh, uh, challenger. Outside of that, Arujo uh, could be another contender if she picks up maybe another win. I, I know she's on a I think a two fight winning streak at this point, but man, it's slim pickings at this division. Man, it's it's not looking too great. Talia Santos, if she can pick up the win over Matafari, maybe she moves up to number seven or number eight, and then we've got another potential contender who's a who's a win away. But I would love for Santos to get another year of grooming before she matches up with Shevchenko. One of the issues with this division, the same thing with 125 back when Demetrius Johnson ran that division, was that a lot of these prospects who could have actually beaten Demetrius Johnson had they had the opportunity to develop in that direction were thrown right to him. And of course lost because they were too young in their careers. Right. Yeah. I'm just looking at that one at 125. It's still a, it's still a pretty thin division. So you've got, you know, and hopefully I don't, you know, they're probably, um, 
if Firo wins in in spectacular fashion, she could be two fights away from a title shot. They could fast track her. That is actually a good point. We we have to. You're right. We have to factor in the fact that they they put multiple 125 pound bites uh, bouts on this card, presumably for the most impressive win to possibly challenge for the title. Uh, Meta Fiore, I mean, she she's facing a live opponent this time, so it's not impossible for her to get a title shot with a spectacular finish. I mean, I think she would need one more, but you never you never know. Staying away, they could do whatever they want. A hundred fucking percent. And you know they will. Just real quick, Carlos Condit retired from MMA. Uh, you're a badass dude. I've, I've been watching him for years. I've been rooting for him for a a, a long, long time. Same thing with Jiu-Jitsu. He retired also. That's right. He also retired. I, I forgot to to mention him. Um, he, he's also a great veteran who, like Carlos Condit, reached every goal except for being the number one fighter on the planet in his division. But watching them both from W from the WEC days. Well, Carlos. Carlos did have a strap in uh, in WEC, but I hear you. Yeah, but uh, but it wasn't the 170-pound strap. You know what I'm saying? Right. In WEC, when Jiu-Jitsu was fighting for 135 or 125, or the 135 title, it was for the title. It was for the number one spot. So it is it is definitely different, and Carlos Condit was never able to reach that, unfortunately. But man, was he close. Arguably beat Robbie Lawler, although I still think Robbie Lawler's bombs should count more uh, than Carlos Condit's pitter-patter. One of the greatest fights ever. Yeah, certainly certainly one of the better title fights I think in the last uh, ten years in the UFC. And we're the only guy to not the only guy to knock down GSP during GSP's run. He couldn't be the only guy to run uh, to knock him down. Or you're saying at the post Sarah run? Because I just feel like yes. that was his run, except it got interrupted by Sarah. The only guy to not the only guy to knock him down during his second title run, which was the long one. It was that cross to the body fake, which set up the head kick. It's a, it's a beautiful combo. I like it a lot. And he landed it uh, really, really well. So Nikolai, a good pay-per-view to look forward to. I, I really am enticed and, and looking forward to this one. This is the first like legit, legit card we've had in a little while. So so intrigued by it, looking forward to it. For the record, I think I'm going to pick up some points in you again, man. I do think one of your underdog picks will probably come through. So it was worth, I think, investing in those two, man. I'm getting, I'm getting beat too bad this same. I have, no trash. Gonna... I, have, I have no trash talk. I feel like it's the entire point of this podcast, Nikolai. Is you, the plucky I... underdog, just keeps talking trash even though you, you don't really stand a chance. <laughs> we'll see what happens next week. I don't know. I'm a little down. I'm a little down after anything. Uh...